he slimed me. That's great! Actual physical contact! Can you move? Ray, Ray, come in, please. I feel so funky. Spengler, I'm with Bankman. You got slime! Why do you say Ghostbusters is a Halloween movie? Did it happen in Halloween time? I don't know, but it feels like Halloween, doesn't it? Ghosts? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And it's such a good movie. You don't really need an excuse to watch that one. Exactly. Yeah, and the new one's coming out right after Halloween, which makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, genius. Good move, guys. Get it out before Halloween. It's a perfect Halloween movie for kids. Kids would love it. I don't get it. Um, Speaking of, we talked earlier about the whole uh, witch situation and a lot of you said you know witches are real okay fine whatever you're going to tell me that uh draculas are real too vampires are real because that's what we're going to talk about now we're going to talk about the myth of the vampire where it came from how it got started and how it's led to some um, great 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 modern day movies and television i mean it's it's part of pop culture now there's no question but how did that happen how did it become Such a big deal. We are going to chat with Stanley Stepanek, who is an assistant professor of Slavic languages and literatures at the University of Virginia. Uh, Stanley, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Sure, thank you. Now, you you taught courses on the vampire myth, right? So you've been studying this for a good long while. Yeah, very long time now. I teach one primary course, and I've taught it since uh, about 2007 now is when I started it. It's been a while, yeah. Um. Now, how far back does the vampire story go? When when can we trace its origin story, if you will? Where did it start? Hmm, tough question. Now, important detail there is we actually don't know. The earliest reference we have to the vampire um, in Old Russian language written, written form is from 1047 A.D. Wow. That's the earliest reference we have to this, but that doesn't mean that's when it started. That's just the earliest we have. Sure, so okay. That's going how back far before way. that? We actually don't know. We actually don't know how far before that. Do we know how it started? What that created it? What sort of where it all came from? What you know? What gave it rise? Yeah, well, there are lots of theories about this because, of course, uh, since we don't know exactly when it started, that that's that's one complexity there. But also, the Slavic people didn't have a um, written language system until after Christianization. We're talking like ninth century. So okay. you've got probably about a thousand years of cultural development up to that point that are unaccounted for in written sources, really. Not not all written sources, but in first-hand accounts, at least. So the important detail here is that the vampire really represents an idea you see all over the world, that the dead can come back in some way. So the question, really, I would say is that, well, why is that? Why, why do people have some sort of need to think that the dead can come back? Like, what what is it doing for yeah. us functionally? It's like some sort of symbol. What What is it? So one of the biggest things about the origin of the vampire is it was clearly a symbol of death, of course, but also disease. So one of the big origins of the vampire is actually disease. So you can look at a variety of diseases that might be linked to it, but that's one of the biggest things. There are some other components there for sure, but that's, that's definitely the biggest because that's what its function really was. For a people who had originally no knowledge of viruses, yeah. no knowledge of bacteria, this fills that void in science, right? It, it explains where it comes from and gives something tangible to look at and to use as a symbol. Give us an example in terms of, uh, I know you mentioned rabies uh, as a possible, yes. uh, one of the diseases that dro- drove this myth. How do, how do those two work together? R- rabies and the vampire? Yeah. Yeah. So we do, so, you know, 
scholars have often wondered, well, okay, if it's connected to disease, which diseases are yeah. primary origins? And there's a lot that have been argued. I've heard tuberculosis, for example, but one of the critical things there is, okay, well, do we have any data to support any particular disease over another one? Rabies is one of the ones that we do have data for. We know, for example, that during a um, especially um, widespread panic concerning vampires in Eastern Europe in the 18th century, usually called the Great Vampire Epidemic, that one of the reasons people were actually dying was it was in the middle of a rabies pandemic, actually. So rabies is linked to the vampire there, and we have data to support that. Also data going back to roughly a little bit before that in the um, 17th century to verify that there was one problem there within the bounds of Eastern Europe where it was utilized in this reference to the vampire, where the vampire was supposed to be causing this disease, which, again, to them it's mysterious. We know today it's a viral infection. Yeah. They didn't know that. So the data that we have only goes back to about that point. That doesn't mean rabies didn't exist before that, but it gives us some sense of exactly how it must have operated back then, because without any vaccine, of course, it was spreading and people were being infected and attacking each other. Um, there were cases of whole villages basically being wiped out by this disease where people would just abandon the village because, you know, the people there were infected, so they would just leave, and then that was that. But if you think about rabies, you can already think of some certain connections of the vampire, like, you know, spread via biting, for example, being one of the big ones, or hydrophobia, which is fear of water, yep. especially running water, you know, and this is something you see in Dracula, for example, in the novel, that he can't cross running water. So there are some clear connections there, and we can actually verify the connection to vampire practices with data. So that's why that's one of the biggest ones there. When you talk about vampire practices, how widespread did it become and what kind of impact did it have on societies when it was at its, you know, most virulent, I guess? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, good analogy. Um, <laughs> well, so we know it was definitely something that was very important in Slavic culture. And then, of course, cultures that were connected with them, like, for example, um, people in Romania and Hungary, absorbed some of these traditions. So how widespread did it get? Well, during, in particular, I mentioned the, the great vampire epidemic yeah. in the 18th century. When that happened, then the idea started to then leak into Western Europe, and it became this big topic for academic debate about whether or not the dead can actually come back and, like, drink blood or eat people and things like that. Is this, is this possible? So that's what got Western Europeans really talking about it, but eventually the actual myth was debunked by scientists during the Enlightenment period whenever this was happening, but the idea stuck. So in terms of, like, vampire being widespread in original, like, belief with actual vampire practices with decapitations or putting garlic in a grave or sticking somebody through their torso or, you know, chopping their body into pieces is another thing they would sometimes do. Um, it's primarily restricted to Eastern Europe, but we do see it spreading elsewhere. For example, there was a vampire panic in New England in the 19th century. This is one of the things that Bram Stoker actually used for research for his novel Dracula. He was really interested in, well, how'd that get there? Well... If you would actually research the event and the people that were involved in it, you would discover that tuberculosis was uh, rampant in that particular part of the United States. And there was a significant Slavic population. There were miners that were near that area, and they told the people about what this, okay. what this was. So that gives some evidence that maybe tuberculosis was linked to it. But So there you have the vampire and actual practice and decapitations and stuff coming into the United States. There's evidence of it also going into Canada. Um, a place called Vilno, for example, or usually pronounced Wilno by people who see it written um, in Ontario. But in, in every case, what you see is you see some connection to Slavic culture, where it's Slavic people who, you know, emigrated, or they're telling people, you know, about this, this thing that they pretty much had never heard of, and then they're applying it to their own, you know, cultural landscape and stuff like that. So they brought the yeah. myth with them, so to speak. Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. And of course, it persists today, just, I think, because it's it's so interesting. It's so cool, right? I mean, basically, it's that's so why we cool. still talk yeah, about it. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah.
Exactly. Very cool. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your time this morning, Stanley. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's Stanley Stepanek, who um, is an assistant professor of Slavic languages and literatures at the University of Virginia and has studied the Dracula myth going back a long, long way. I didn't realize that the first recorded instance of the vampire myth was in like 1042. That's that's going back a ways, and it's still alive today, along with the witches one that we talked about earlier.